And it's great to see you all this morning. For those of you who are visiting, just to say, we're, we're actually studying the book of Colossians, and we've come to a point, uh, uh, Colossians uh, chapter 3. And this chapter opens up with uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, four verses that really are, uh, are so powerful. So if you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, and we will commence from verse 1. Paul writes to the Colossians this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, I believe for every one of us, certainly most of us, that we, we're seeking after something in life. There's probably many things that you, you're seeking after, that you desire, you perhaps set your heart or your mind upon, whether it's comfort, whether it's peace, whether it's happiness and joy, excitement, entertainment, success qualifications, a spouse, friendships, children, perhaps no children, many more things that we could, we could include in a list of things that you, you're seeking, things that you desire. And what, what as, you, as you grow older, what we're seeking changes over the years. What we desire when we are young changes in middle age. And probably, I'll get to find out, it changes when you get to old age. And I'm sure amongst here, if we were to go around and ask one another, well, what are you seeking? It would be different at different ages, and naturally so. But the Apostle Paul here is saying in these few verses that because we have a new life in Christ, we need to develop a new mindset. And that mindset, being a heavenly one, as opposed to continuing on in the mindset of the world. Some people have said it is possible to be so heavenly minded that no earthly good. You might have heard that statement before. The reality is, though, that for many they are so earthly minded that they're no heavenly good, or maybe not as heavenly good as they could be. And the reality is that the gospel has been advanced and spread by those who have had a heavenly mindset. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom. We pray, don't we, in the Lord's Prayer, let your kingdom come, your will be done. It's a constant fight for me. I want it's my kingdom. Let your kingdom come, not my kingdom come, not my will be done. Paul in Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. In other words, as Christians, not being conformed to this world starts with our thinking and having our focus and our minds set not on the things of this world, not of the world's thinking, but the things that are above. And as Christians, we need to develop a biblical worldview so that we see all things all things from a biblical perspective. 
So in these things, we're encouraged to seek things that are above and set our minds on things that are above. I believe Paul, by restating this command, obviously believes this is of utmost importance to the believer. And I would suggest that in our seeking and setting of our minds on things that are above, that he's encouraging us both at a heart level and a mind level to reorientate ourselves away from the values of this world to the values of the kingdom of God. And so this morning, out of these verses, I want us to look at three consequences that we see out of these verses that are talking about our new life in Christ. Talk about our new position. They're all P's, so you can remember them. Our new perspective and our new promise. So our new position. Verse 3. I'm going to start with verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul in verse 1 starts with if. And Paul here is not asking a question. He is assuming that his readers have accepted Christ as their saviour and therefore they have been raised with Christ. And because of this assumption, it forces the reader or listener to agree with the proposition that follows. Paul says we've died with Christ, we've been raised with Christ and we are seated with Christ and we will appear with Christ because our lives are hidden with Christ. The truth of being united to Christ or, unite, or being in Christ or with Christ is referred to over 200 times in the New Testament. And therefore I would suggest it is a significant truth. This truth radically changed my life. I, brought, I was brought up with an emphasis in our church that Christ is in me, born again of the Spirit of God, Christ in me, Christ the hope of glory. And of course that is gloriously true. That is so important that we understand that. But when I came to understand this truth, that more than Christ being in me, that I was in him, it made a radical difference to my life. It, it just changed the way I lived, the way I thought, the way I dealt with sin, the way I dealt with life. Because no longer what happens to me is defined by how I respond to Christ in me, but that now what happens to me is defined by what happens to Christ. Because I am in Christ. Now I tried to think of an example to describe what our union with Christ means. And I did have an illustration many years ago that most people just laughed at and thought was daft. So I tried to think of another one. Um, if we kind of think of our, if we, if we were to think of our union with Christ, like being in a team, say a, say a football team. I mean, some teams, sadly, actually have the name Something United. You might guess, I'm not a particular fan of that team, but we don't want to upset everybody here. But you, and you, therefore, you're part of that team. You say, I, I have a union with the team, and we're united in our cause. However, you then get an injury, and you're no longer in the team. The team plays on, but you're no longer involved. You're kind of alongside, you're with them, but you're alongside them. However, if we think of a body, and all of us as Christians as molecules in that body, it's whatever happens to the body will affect us all. 
Likewise, if the body stays, remains healthy, we all remain healthy. And I'm talking spiritually now. It seemed like if you can imagine it in that way. But now having tried to come up with an example, which examples are never often quite accurate, the Bible actually does give us an explanation that I believe will help us. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22-23, Paul writes, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. For as in Adam, as in Adam, all die, so all in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. The Bible sees humanity in a context of one of two categories. We probably see humanity in sort of the billions who live upon the earth. But the Bible sees mankind or humanity, whatever term you want to use, in one of two men. Those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. Adam and Christ, biblically speaking, are both seen as first fruits. First fruits. Uh, in Adam is the fruit of death, and all his seed in him will die with him. In Christ is the fruit of life, and all his seed in him are made alive with him. So each one of us, one of two, two men. We're either the seed of Adam, or we're the seed of of Christ. One of these two fruits. So whatever happens to the fruit happens to the seed. And Adam will die and in Christ all are made alive. Mike Reeves says, hidden like seed in Christ, the first fruits, we have inextinguishable life. Because our lives are hidden in Christ, because now we're no longer in Adam, we've transferred from being in Adam, the representative man until Christ came, and now in Christ, our lives hidden in Christ, we don't have to strive for a heavenly status. We already have it. wonder sometimes you think, <clears throat> you know, we were talking about legalism last week. Matt was talking about legalism. Do you think, I've, I've got to do these things to gain eternal life. I've got to do these things to get into heaven. If you're in Christ, your position in heaven is already secure. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Adam, seed of death, Christ, the seed of life. This union means that all things that are in Christ are ours. Our lives are more than just being joined like that football team and coming alongside Christ. Our lives are in Christ, hidden in Christ. I was in an event a few years ago when we were singing a great song, Before the Throne of God. Uh, you all know this song, or most of you would know this song. And as we were singing it, we, 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 we sang different words. And I spoke to, it's, it's not here by the way, so nobody needs to worry. It's not, not in this chair. Um, uh, I was singing different words. And I spoke to the worship leader afterwards because they changed the words from my life is hid with Christ on high, to something like, I can't remember his exact words, but my life is now with Christ. And when I asked uh, why they changed the words, uh, they said that people wouldn't understand the expression hid 
with Christ. Well, that may be true. But we're robbing people of an incredible truth. Incredible truth. Hidden with Christ. I was really saddened by this, this truth that had really changed and revolutionised my life was now being watered down, was missing the, the kind of, the, 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 the big thing, if you like, the glorious truth. I'm not just alongside Christ, I'm in him. I'm in Christ. Hidden with Christ is so much more than just being with Christ. So therefore, in spiritual terms and eternal terms, whatever happens to the head, i.e. Christ, happens to the body, i.e. us, the church. We are the body of Christ. The song um, before the throne of God says, Because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied. And look, look at this line here. To look on him. To look on him and pardon me. When you mess up, this is the glorious truth if we come to understand. When we mess up, God's not looking at you and me in our mess up. He's looking at Christ and pardons us. That's a glorious truth, is it not? That's so much more than, well, I'm with, with Jesus, but I'm in him. And when I mess up, when I go wrong, for God, the justice satisfied, to look on him and pardon me. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high with Christ my Saviour and my God. To be hidden with Christ in God means that when God looks at me, he sees Christ instead of me. He sees me in Christ. And it's this truth we've just been praying about coming into before the throne of God or coming into the throne of grace and we can come boldly, boldly come. Well, how, how can we come boldly? Because... No, unrighteousness cannot enter into the presence of God. How can we come? Because we come in Christ, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's that that allows us to stand before a holy God, clothed in his righteousness. And you're just thinking about this, he says here, um, with Christ in God. It's because our lives have been hidden in Christ. We've been adopted into the family of God. And because we're adopted, we can address God as the Lord's Prayer encourages us, our Father who art in heaven. Our Father. What the Son has, we have. The Son says this is the prayer. He was God's Son, Jesus walking. And yet he said, when you pray, pray our Father which is in heaven. Jesus says this in Mark 9, verse 37. Whoever receives, speaking of the little child, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, listen to this, receives not me, but him who sent me. Whoever receives me receives not me, it's Jesus speaking, but him who sent me. Notice in our text here, verse 3, your life Allies are hidden with Christ in God. Our lives being hidden with Christ establishes our relationship to Christ's Father, who is in heaven. And because we are in Christ, so God also is our Father 
in heaven. You don't find that incredible? You don't find it amazing that today we can come here and we can say, our Father. You can get by your bedside or read in home and you can say, Father, Father. The creator of all things. The one who set the stars and the planets in the courses. The one who is sovereign over all things. A little old us. Say our Father. He is our Father. He's my Father. He's your Father. Isn't that incredible? And it's because our lives are hidden in Christ, we can come boldly by faith, address him as Father, come into his very presence, because we're in Christ. Verse 3 says we have died with Christ, so now we live a new life because we've been raised with Christ and these truths form the basis of Paul's call to a new orientation as to our focus and our perspective for our lives. So our second point this morning is our new perspective, our new perspective. Verses 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. You know, one of the things I love about Paul's letters, he always, he always wants to build in, build in who we are, what we have in Christ before he gives us an encouragement, a command or instruction, whatever you want to call it. And here, Paul's desire that in the light of spiritual, the spiritual reality that our lives are hidden with Christ, we're commanded to develop a new mindset that relates to this amazing reality. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so our lives, hidden with Christ, are seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. And this, for Paul, provides the motivation to reorientate our thoughts, orientate our thoughts and our desires to that heavenly realm. To make our heavenly status the guiding reference point for all our actions and all our thoughts. To realise that's the position we're in and coming and flowing from that is to reorientate our mindset, our thinking, our actions. So what does... What are the things above that Paul calls us to seek and set our minds upon? Well, he's not simply saying, sit down and just keep thinking of stuff that might be in heaven. Well, it may not be clouds, but can I, can I still have coffee in heaven? And some people say, can, can dogs exist in heaven? I trust not. It's one of the things I'm praying for. But, but, you know, that's not what Paul is saying. He's not sitting there saying, oh, you know, what, what might heaven be? Let's just sit and and talk about it. In simple terms, what he's saying is to seek a life like Christ. The values, the thinking that we see Christ emanate. He is the one seated in heaven, so our lives are hidden in him. Let our minds dwell on his life. Let our minds dwell on Christ. As we continue in this book of Colossians, Paul will give us the specifics as to what it looks like to live in a way consistent with Christ's kingdom. He details this, we're going to see in verses 12, 17, what these heavenly things are. 
And we haven't got time to do all that this morning. We'll get to that when we get to those verses. But the things that are above are the things that are tied to Christ. The things that are above are the things that reflect the kingdom of God. Anything less is worldly thinking. Now, some of you may have heard this term before. I was brought up with this, that uh, worldliness is all about, you know, the things that we do. Uh, for some of us, it was worldly to go to the... You, you're not going to believe this. For some of us who grew up, it was worldly to go to the pictures, to the cinema. I think June, for June, it was worldly to knit on a Sunday. I, I, I didn't do any knitting, so, and I didn't have Christian parents, so... But, but worldliness was considering all these strange and weird and wonderful things, but often was talking about the, in a context of the things we do. I would suggest that worldliness is first of all about our thinking and our values. It's where our thinking is, where our values are. And I've just put down a few things. that uh, What the world considers important. You may still think these important. Um, and the first one, I want to say, first of all, I don't think it's important for me. And it'd be pretty obvious, because a lot of people in the world says, I must have this body, I must have this body shape. <coughs> Past. I must have these things, this car, this house. I must dress like this. I must have this degree. I must have this type of job. Now, though, things in themselves aren't wrong. But when they become, those are the important things, they become preeminent, perhaps we've lost sight of thinking of things above. Earthly teaching and values are filled with deceptive philosophy. We saw last week that was threatening the church. Things that we saw last week, mysticism and asceticism and um, uh, legalism. Thank you. <laughs> I need a prop. Yeah, okay. If I haven't got it in my notes, I'm done. Um, that's what was going on. And so he was reorientated. Setting our minds on things that are above will mean that our thinking and our values will change and be different from the world's thinking and the world's values. Don't be surprised when the world thinks different to what we do. And that's not because you're just some strange person, but if you're living according to the scriptures, it will conflict. The Bible talks about... Jesus being a rock of offence. He was offensive. And if we're living for Christ, we're going to offend. So don't be surprised. Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here he's emphasising and setting your minds to things above. Well, this is, this is the mind to have, which is yours in Christ Jesus. John Piper, referring to this text, says, Paul is saying, be shaped in your way of thinking, your emotional life, your pattern of attitudes and responses, your preferences in people and entertainment, and clothes and jobs and leisure. In this total set of your mind and heart, be formed by the realities that are above. What we think of value will affect every area of our lives. So it's important that we don't have our minds set on earthly, worldly things at the expense of heavenly things. Our ambitions, our desires need not to be fashioned by looking purely earthbound, but looking at our lives from Christ's exalted position. 
It's not that some of these things are wrong, but it's how we arrive there. Where, what, what is the focus? Judge things not from the old order, but the, by the new order that your life in Christ has brought you into. And then finally, our third point is, in verse 4, we have a wonderful, wonderful promise. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Read that again. When Christ, who is your life, my life, appears, then you, then I, will also appear with him in glory. Well, does that, is that not, either for uh, uh, um, old-fashioned Christians, uh, shout hallelujah or a wow or something. Wow. Wow. Absolutely. I mean, amazing, is it not? Here in this verse, we have a full, even if brief, description of the Christian's true status. Our heavenly identity is real and secure, yet now hidden, but will be gloriously revealed in the future. When Jesus returns, when he appears, so will we. Not because you've been good that week. Others say, I'm going, I'm, I'm returning, let's check them out, let's see how they've done a good week. Not because of things you've done, but because of what Christ has done. Because your life is hidden in him. At the moment, hidden from human sight, waiting for Christ's appearance. Hidden also suggests a safe place. Our salvation, as Peter says in 1 Peter uh, 1 verse 3, is guarded by God. So our salvation is guarded by God. Who better? You think anybody you'd rather have your salvation guarded by? It's guarded by God. You see, because we've died in Christ and been raised with Christ and now seated with Christ, it follows that when Christ returns or appears, we who are in Christ will appear with him. And Paul concludes this little section, these four verses, where he has outlined our position, our status of our new life. And encouraging us as a result to reorientate our thinking, our thinking and our values heavenward, things that are above, with this wonderful, wonderful promise. <laughs> this promise is a, as an expression of Paul's confidence that when Christ returns, we will be with him in glory. You see, in verse 4, we see the balance between the already and the not yet. That which has already come and that which has not yet fully come. The new age has dawned with Christ coming and completing the all was necessary for us to be reconciled to the Father. The old age, though, is not yet wound up. And as believers, we're no longer part of it, but we still live in this broken-down world. Dane Orton writes, If you are a Christian, you have been swept up by divine grace into the new order that the prophets foretold. The new creation has already begun to dawn. It often doesn't feel like it because the old fallen age continues steamrolling right alongside the dawning new age. We remain fallen sinners. But our basic identity, our fundamental location is in the new age, 
because we are in Christ. So that new age has been ushered in with Christ and we are in Christ. We have been seated, but it's, it's the some already, but the some not yet. And we live between that, between the already and not yet. We need to be careful what we claim to be already and what we claim to be not yet. Because the danger is sometimes people drag in to the already what is not yet. Does that make sense? Hopefully. The fullness of our life in Christ is not yet, and yet it will be fully realised with Christ. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed. When he returns, then we will also be revealed with him in glory. Andrew Lincoln said this, and I didn't misspell it, it's not Abraham Lincoln, it's Andrew Lincoln, is a theologian. Speaker of Christ says this, The heavenly realm centres around the one with whom they have been raised. And since he is in the position of authority at God's right hand, nothing can prevent access to this realm and to God's presence. And there can be no basic insecurity about the salvation they have and its final outcome. We've been raised with Christ. We're seated with Christ in those heavenly places. Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father, all authority is in his hand. Nothing can prevent access, therefore, to this realm. Nothing can prevent us getting into God's presence. And that means that we, how often do we find ourselves insecure about our salvation? I do. And I come back to this. That's what I come back to. When I'm feeling, I'm, I'm feeling insecure about God's love or my assurance of salvation is these truths that I come back to. A life hidden with Christ, who's seated at the right hand of God, is completely secure. Those of us who are in Christ are completely secure. No powers can ultimately bring them harm. And as Paul says in Romans, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The Christian who understands their union in Christ and their focus on Christ's return and our future with Christ will be able to identify with Paul in Philippians 3, 20, 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glory body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. We think it's in Bristol or wherever. Ultimately, it's in heaven. Already, but not yet. Not fully realised. With Christ, we have died. With Christ, Paul says, we've been raised. And because he is our very lives, we will appear with him in glory. What a glorious promise. And what a a wonderful future awaits us all. Our new life in Christ gives us a new identity, a new status, a new position. And therefore, let us pray for grace that we might set our hearts, we might set our minds upon those things that are above. Seeking first the kingdom of God.
And while we're doing that, while we're living in the already, while we're setting our thoughts on things above, let's rejoice in the promise of our future with him. We're going to sing in a minute, let's turn our eyes upon Jesus. The band will come out, please. But let's turn our eyes upon Jesus, the word says. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. I'm going to sing this song in a moment. The band is going to play. Perhaps you just close your eyes in meditation. If you feel this morning that although you are grateful to God for your salvation, there are times your mind is not set on things above. You're not seeking first the kingdom of God. We all at times take our eyes off Jesus. If we didn't, if we didn't take our eyes off of Jesus, we wouldn't kept them on Jesus the whole time, we wouldn't sin. But if you feel you've done that, taking your eyes off him, I've been freshly challenged as I've gone through this material, gone through these verses and studied it. And as Angie's just playing for a couple of minutes, confess it to God, pray to God for grace to help you set your mind on things above. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning that our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Thank you, Lord, that we can say we've been raised with Christ because our lives are hidden in Christ. And we are now seated with Christ in heaven. Father, as we wait for the return of Jesus, our Saviour, would you give us the grace to set our minds on things above and we may seek your kingdom first, not ours. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done in my life and our lives as it is in heaven. Lord, we, we wait in anticipation for that glorious day. But when Christ appears, 
we will appear with him in glory. Amen. Please stand as we sing. Let's turn our eyes upon Jesus.